0: several others. Uh, Most notably he also spent a number of years uh, playing with Miles Davis group in the 80s. And went on to form his own bands and record a number of records, uh, over 20 records, uh, as of the latest count. And he was telling me about his newest project which he's uh, ready to mix at the moment. Maybe he'll tell you more about it if you ask him when he comes out here. So at this point I'd like to ask John to join me on the stage You've met
1: I think it was 1972 and uh, was it 72? 72 I think. And uh, he changed the school and I was, I think a, 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 I was really lucky to witness that and to see how he changed Berkeley within a few months and he changed all of our lives, all the musicians that were here and uh, he's been as big an influence on me and my music as anyone. And, and uh, I'd just like to say thanks to Gary. Thank you so much, Gary. Okay, so welcome to Guitar Week. Thank you all for coming out. Uh, we've got a little over an hour to, to, uh, to do this. Uh, I'm not, I don't really have a, a workout clinic uh, workshop masterclass spiel at this point. Uh, so, I really need your help. and We're gonna play some, and, and we'll definitely get into that, but I think uh, we should all, I think you should you know take the opportunity to ask me questions because you don't really get around professional jazz musicians that often. And there are some that teach at school, but they're probably hard to, to get to. And, and here I am. I, re- I remember when I came to school one of the big thrills when Gary came to teach here was i mean we couldn 't believe it because what Gary Burton's going to come and teach at Berkeley uh, a jazz legend who has his own band and who is uh, making hit jazz records and we were uh, just thrilled to be able to be around him and to to sort of see what somebody is like who 's actually doing what we wanted to do and just hearing him speak about being a musician and, and and just almost seeing him react to stuff, having discussions, uh, was as almost as as eye-opening as actually playing uh, with him. And I think that that's what we can do now. We can uh, we can really talk about what it's like to be a, a musician. And a lot of you, or all of you, are in school and trying to figure out how and you're going to. To get it together in order to play and to make a living playing and to what kind of music you want to play or kinds, uh, what direction to take, how to practice, how to study, the whole deal. So now we can really, you know, I can answer your questions and uh, not just, you know, we can talk of course about jazz music, which is my specialty, and jazz guitar, because it's Guitar Week after all, and. Uh, course we can talk about that but we can also talk about the other stuff that might not be uh, you might think is not cool enough to talk about like you know what's it like to be a professional musician how do you get gigs and not like as if I could tell you how to get gigs you know I can't do that (laughs) but uh, you know that sort of thing the professional end of it uh, these are the important things that we all think about especially when you haven't really been out there And what strings do you use is a very valid, good question. So I don't don't want to hear anybody put that question down. I always ask people that. Uh, Sometimes first thing, you know, you meet Pat Martino, you ask him what kind of strings does he use? Because I always wonder, you know? It seems like it's so easy for him to play, and it turns out he plays on strings, you know, thicker than my wrist. uh, So it's okay to ask those kind of questions. And uh, I'm going to play some, too. And... uh, Oh, a hand went up. Right. That day. If everybody asked one question, <laughs> we, we we wouldn't even have to play. Uh, there's a yes, sir. Yeah. What was the thing, Miles Davis? That's the one question I hate to answer. Oh. I not answer He <laughs> asked me, "What's it like to play with Miles Davis?" I forgot to say. That's the one. That's, the, that's what they always ask me. And, uh, no, that's a good question. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, playing with Miles was great. Thanks. And playing with all the excellent musicians that I've had a chance to play with has, has been my major learning thing to get to be around people that are trying to make music and improvise music and arrange music together you know, to, to see somebody do it, to feel it go down, to see this guy making choices to see Miles saying well maybe you'll play it first or oh I don't like that or I do like that and just to be around somebody in Involved in the creative process that you really respect—it it just unfolds. It, it shows so many things. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Want to know how we put that together? Those songs—I did an album with Miles called Decoy, one of the albums, and and uh, we co-wrote three or four of the tunes on the album, and. and I would go to Miles' house, he would play piano, I had my guitar, and he'd start a a vamp or a small progression or something, and he'd say, play. And I just played, and he taped it, and he would have somebody else transcribe the parts of my solo that he liked, and those became the heads. (laughs) And it's it's weird, huh? And uh, he also did it to himself. He uh, he would tape himself. He would tape himself playing. And there's, I have at home a fantastic, like four or five pages of just of what he played into a tape recorder. That Gil Evans was his transcriber. I mean, that's you believe that? Gil was like, he said, transcribe this for me. You know, I'm trying not to do my Miles Davis imitation, which everybody who played with Miles can do it, but I'm, I'm trying not to. Do it. But he told Gil, he to said, transcribe this stuff, and Gil did. Gil, if you don't know, was. One of the, maybe the greatest orchestrator in music ever, an arranger and musician. But, uh, so Miles took the stuff and, uh, you know, that he played or that I played and found the little parts that were melodic and those became the lines. The little tiny parts that were melodic. The rest of it was, it was that improv stuff. It was a thrill to play with Miles. It was a thrill to play with, the, with all the great players I've gotten to play with. Uh, And sometimes Miles gets emphasized more because he's the most famous. Uh, Which I understand that, and and he should be emphasized more because he's maybe the greatest, certainly probably the greatest I was ever around. But, uh, you know, just this tradition that we have in in music, you know, jazz music, of hanging out with players that are older, better than you, and some of it rubs off. That's the way I think we learn to play more than anything more than any videos and books and and uh, the number one way you learn to play is out of your own head by figuring it out and working on it but what has helped me with that more than anything has been the other people that are doing the same thing you know check them out they'll open you up to some other stuff all right yes Uh, Idris Mohammed, fantastic drummer. He asked how I got connected to him. Uh, you know, I've always really been a fan of New Orleans R&B. And uh, I found out after, long after I met Idris that he was from New Orleans. Because he, he he's lived in New York since, I don't know, the early 60s. Uh, people don't know that. I first played with Idris in the 70s when I, when I was uh, just playing around in New York and I played some gigs with him and, and he was living in, in New York and uh, I became aware of him then. Uh, a year and a half ago or two years ago, whenever it was, uh, I, I asked him to play in my band and he, he said he was moving back to the States, he had been living in Vienna. If anybody doesn't, hasn't heard Idris, he's certainly not a household word, but name, but he's one of the really special drummers out there. uh, He's from New Orleans and grew up with the street rhythms and parade rhythms of his city and and that has influenced his jazz and R&B playing. Uh, And it comes out in a special way with him. He's got his own style and and he's got this kind of funk groove that's really special to that city and special to him, I guess. And uh, he really has a whole tradition of Playing a great straight-ahead player, too, beautiful beat, and uh, lucky to get to play with him. But you know, the, the the musicians I play with are really shape shape what we're going to do. I mean, there's nothing more important than than who you play with, except for what you play, which is you know you're responsible for that. But boy, getting around great musicians, it's a good thing. Yeah. What
0: was it like to be you record
1: well, another great musician I got to be around was Jaco Pastorius, got to be around him a little bit. Uh, and the question was, what was it like the day that I recorded the DCI video with Jaco? Uh, uh, there's a, a video, How to Play the Bass by Jaco Pastorius, and I'm sure most of you know who he is, and he died and, uh, you know, a year or two after we made this video. And, uh... Well, you know, I met Jocko some years before when he wasn't famous, when Pat Metheny turned me on to his playing and he came up to Boston. I think I met him briefly and heard some tapes or something and i never heard anybody play like that and, and I was knocked out. And then he joined Weather Report and I, and I got to do a lot of gigs opposite him when I was in Billy Cobham and George Duke band. And I just, I couldn't believe how good he was, but he was really, nuts, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a difficult way to be around, so I stayed away from him, I didn't want to stay away from him because I really kind of idolized him in a way. Then uh, when we made that video, Jocko was already a huge star and was in a way in decline because uh, alcohol and drugs had taken its toll. He, he went for them all, he started off doing nothing, doing no, no drugs or alcohol, and then after Weather Report, when it was really just at the height of its fame, he decided he wanted to start drinking and getting high, and, and just tore him down. And that, and that was that video was made, you know, a year, a couple of years before he died. But already they were having to, real problems to rein him in just to make the video. But it was a great day, you know. He was in good shape. He. Uh, Actually, the, the people who ran the video studio, ran the company, DCI, had paid to keep in a hotel the night before, so he wouldn't go out and destroy himself the night before. And so he was in good shape, and we had a blast playing. You know, uh, you know he's, he, uh, well, it was really great, and uh, too bad he's gone.
0: Yeah. Uh, can you uh, name some of your major musical influences? Just you know, growing up and even now.
1: Name my musical influences? It's actually two. There's too many of them, you know. And I still have musical influences. I'm always listening to stuff and I'm trying to find. Not not like I used to when I when I when I went to Berkeley and when I was in, starting out and in my 20s. I'd to music all the time. You know, I was just influenced by modern jazz, by all kinds of modern. Uh, and I would have phases, you know, it would be Miles Davis one year, and then the next year it would be bebop, Charlie Parker. Then the next year, I mean, you know, I had like a free jazz phase, Ornette Coleman, Paul Blay, and, and you know, I mean, and I had a, a funk phase where I just, you know, I would go back and forth between things, and B.B. King and blues, and and, and uh, there's just too many people to, to say. On guitar, since this is Guitar Week, I'll run that down for you. Um, <laughs> I really got into rock first when I was really young, 11 I started, and uh, by the time I was 14 or 15, because this in the mid-60s there was a big folk music revival thing, where folk music was on TV, folk music was everywhere, and these corny kind of folk groups that I actually liked a little bit, I just wasn't hip to say that he liked like Peter Paul and Mary, that sort of thing, they were top ten, you know. And so every now and then a blues singer, a, one of the authentic city blues guys or something, would end up on TV. And so I got into blues. And, well, I like that. You know, I really love that sound. And I got into B.B. King kind of on my own as a teenager. And that really blew me away. Then I, I, I had a guitar key. I went and took guitar lessons in my hometown. And I uh, lucked out because the local guy in the music store was a jazz fan. And a jazz guitar player. It was trying to learn how to play jazz. And uh, he turned me on to the whole thing, jazz guitar. Uh, actually going to hear Gary Burton's band in, in the late 60s before I knew him with Larry Coryell on guitar. Larry was an influence. And then I, from that, I kind of got the whole into bebop guitar and, and Barney Kessel, Tal Farlow. And then I heard Pat Martino, the guy who's coming tomorrow, who I uh, still think is, uh, Complete. I mean, I can't believe that he does it. Uh, he has a hard bop thing he can do on guitar that I would... Then I just gave up everything and tried to copy him. After a couple of years, I realized I can't do this. But it took me a couple of years to get over that. And uh, so Pat was a big influence on me. And uh, George Benson, and then Jim Hall. I heard Jim Hall, and that, that really helped me because it helped me understand I don't have to play like Pat Martino. I can play jazz music in a different way. And this is a kind of a, a introspective, reflective way of, re- yeah, reflective uh, approach. It's different. You don't have to play a million notes. And uh, so I listen to them all, you know, and, and still do. And I, every now and then I'll run into somebody who I missed. And, and it's been on all instruments too, drums even, classical music. I recall it. A lot of things yeah. influence me. I'm wondering how is it that, was your, opinion, your like, particular studying philosophy that's allowed you to be so diverse and have so many interests, with such a great well, grasp I, on so many things? Like... He says, "Well, how, how am I so diverse? I'm not really that diverse, you know. I mean, I think we all are. You know, if you once you make the commitment to be a musician, you get into your thing, you know, the, the thing that you love, and you know, the, the kind of music at the moment that you're into." But then you know, over the years, you get exposed to a lot of other stuff. So I suppose I'm diverse, you know, compared to some people. But compared to other people that are incredibly diverse, I don't feel like I am. They're almost too eclectic. It's, it's, a, it's a trap to be into too much stuff, because then you're not into anything. You just become kind of like a record collector. You know, like a music maniac that's into, can tell you about everything, but, you know, it's almost like somebody who is into names and, and, they can memorize the blurb on the back of a record about somebody and can talk about it and has a zillion records, but what are they really into? You don't want to be like that. Uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I, I love music, you know, so I listen to different things. I don't know what allowed me to be like that. Maybe I came from a time when people were a little bit more eclectic in the 70s, there was a little bit more give and take. It wasn't quite so delineated, you're a hard bopper. Or a rocker, or this. There's a little bit more crossover at that time, but uh, there still is. Yeah. Ah, uh, good question. Uh, how do I practice? I, ne- I never really had a method, and I tried having a method. Different times, as said, "Well, in order to get the work done, I need to figure out. I need to practice this for 20 minutes." That for twenty minutes. I've tried that, um, and I suppose maybe that did help me. I, I you know, practicing scales for a half hour, but whatever, you know, one after another in a real routine workout way. And I've had different teachers that that suggested I do that, and I've tried that. But I think mainly I've had to teach myself how to learn, and I think we all have to do that. And for me, anyway, it's been a real hodgepodge. Uh, Just taking a little bit from here and a little bit from there and anytime there's something gives you a glimmer of Oh, that's something I've heard other people use in their playing that I think maybe I could apply to my jazz vocabulary and Then I would oh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's not what it is But just constantly looking for that little thing in in lines or in chords or whatever that you would practice that seemed to make sense to use as a jazz player. Because I always wanted to be a jazz player first before being even a guitar player. So I would practice technical things on the guitar, but I, I, you know, I never really thought a lot of these technical things were gonna be any good. I mean, I didn't want to play those fast arpeggios. I didn't want to play bluegrass music or whatever. I liked it, but it wasn't what I was going for. I wanted to be a jazz guitarist. Um, so I... I a lot of stuff I didn't practice that's in the book, so to speak. Uh, everything just about that I practiced could be applied to, to playing, to, to blowing, or, or to my style. And, and uh, I've, I've, I've set about to build a style, a jazz style, uh, since I was, you know, maybe 20 years old or so. I didn't realize that's what it was then. I just wanted to sound good at the jam session so that uh, I could hang out with the Jazzers. <laughs> um So I've tried every possible way of practicing, and I don't think any one particular one worked for me. Now what I do is I'm, I'm really, I'm, I, I practice when I have, I've always got something I have to get together. Uh, next month I'm going to, to Europe to play with a, a, the music of a composer, Mark Anthony Turnage, a British composer who's written a thing for me and uh, uh, Frankfurt Ensemble Modern, which is a chamber music orchestra, It's like all this written stuff. There, I just have to get it together. I have to learn this uh, this music. So it's, it's usually a necessity that makes me have to practice things. I mean, I'll practice when I have to go out with my band and go on tour, I'd say, oh, I better get on it. I'll review the tunes in my head and I'll start playing. Uh, when I'm home and I have time off, I'll, I'll, there's always something that I, I wish I could get better, you know, that I've maybe forgotten about. And sometimes just sitting down and playing the guitar reminds me of what I have to do, you know. Uh, Then sometimes I don't practice for long periods of time because I'm playing so much. But uh, I really see the value of practice now, more than ever. And I think you just got to spend a lot of time with your instrument. Joe Lovano said you got to love your instrument. Uh, It's a little catchphrase, but there's some truth in there. There's a lot of truth. Yeah? How do you balance your career, family, how do you work on the story but a musician's life, how do you manage the family? Okay, question is, how do I balance my life uh, as a musician with my family? Now, how many people have families out there? Not mom and dad. I'm talking about your of them. <laughs> What do you need to know? Uh, so,
0: uh,
1: no, no. It, this is a great question. This is, this is a good one because, and the reason I'm, I'm sort of making fun of that is because you don't, I never thought about that when I was at Berkeley. Right, I never thought, well, I want to get married and have a wife and kids, and uh, I wonder if this music thing is going to fit in with that. I, I never thought about that. I just, <laughs> I just played and practiced and wanted to have fun. Uh, it's very, very difficult, and I'm just lucky, completely lucky that, that my wife is uh, open-minded and, and sees how, how, diffi- how, how I have to be on the road doing what I do, otherwise I'd have to work at the A&P and that would be really bad. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any easy way. You know, I, I think, you know, actually, I read a really great thing in, in the Berkeley magazine. This I'm not trying to plug Berkeley, believe me, but in, in the, the Berkeley. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean that. Either. But, uh, in the Berkeley newsletter or the Berkeley magazine, there was an interview with Herb Pomeroy, where he said, in his life, uh, Herb Pomeroy used to teach it, I'm sure a lot of you know that, but in his life. Everything in, until it was in his thirties was music, 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 and that's the way it was for me. And then after that, you have to put that aside a little bit and make people more important because they are. And uh, that's something that, that I've really figured out. Part, part of that's been having a family. And uh, music is just not everything. You know? <laughs> I don't know how to tell you how to balance it, but You you guys don't care anyway, you're going to practice all the time. You'll you'll have that problem later, you know. (laughs) There's no preparing for this, let me tell you. And the other thing is, you're lucky if it becomes a problem. Quite honestly, you're lucky if you can get a music career that uh, that doesn't allow you any time. Do I still feel stale and frustrated when I play?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, can't you tell? <laughs> I mean, no, no, this is a great question. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: yeah. I get tired of my own sound, and I constantly have to fight it. I mean, it's a great day when I'm not tired of my own sound. When it just, you know, if you don't play for a few days, you can... A week or a month, you can pick up your instrument and really knock yourself out. See, God damn, I know how to do this. The chord, <laughs> and my hand went right to it, and listen to that sound. And, oh, music, yes. You know. <laughs> and that's that's a wonderful thing. And I, you know, it would be like so easy if every day was like that.
0: But it's
1: uh, not. You know, sometimes. It's the other musicians that that I depend on to knock me out, and they'll knock me out, and I don't have to think about my own sound so much. I just have, wow, these guys are fantastic. Listen to them, and that inspires you. That helps me a lot. Uh, But, you know, you just have to somehow work it out how to to make it fresh. And I think it's a personal thing for everybody, and, and if I hammer my licks out, you know, sometimes... That's not it, but sometimes I just got to relax and play what comes to mind. <clears throat> my, my, my cardinal rule is, in playing, you know, when you're up there blowing, taking a solo or whatever, is to play the next thing your mind and your intuition tells you to play. That all you have to do is listen to what you're just playing and, and your mind will say, follow it with this. And uh, I, I'm getting in tune with that. Has been a, a, something I've always tried to do, uh, and then you sort of have no choice. You just play, play what comes through. It's not, you know, I mean, it is. You play what your mind tells you to play next, and then tough luck if you're sick of it. <laughs> you know, you just have to do it anyway. Uh, I know that sounds a little strange. Uh, it's it's really important uh, technique, and I'm getting better at. at at not being frustrated and, and bored with my own stuff. It never seems, when you're learning to play too, it never comes fast enough. You're always like, oh, I'm gonna play this again. Well, you just gotta deal with it and, and try new stuff. You gotta be daring. And it's hard because you don't wanna sound bad. <laughs> Who wants to sound bad? Nobody. And but taking those chances are really, are one of the only ways to get outside of what you already do and to let Some of the intuitive things come out that may come out, that will come out if you take chances and don't play everything that you already know. Now that I've talked all this stuff, boy, when I do, that's what I hate about these clinics. I'll talk all this highfalutin stuff and then get up and play. Uh, And hmm, that's, oh, I sound good. Anyway, yeah, next question, yes.
0: No, never. (laughs) What do you mean by that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. No. Good question. Have I ever had anybody say anything negative about what I played? How about? Stop playing that sad shit. How about how about that sucks, you know? You know, it doesn't happen very often. Sometimes you'll overhear p- people saying, "You know, I've you know walked in a room where the record producer was sort of, I oh, 'I don't know if we can use that.'" Uh, yeah, and, and you realize he's talking about you. <laughs> and um, um, you know, I've looked, uh, looked at some pretty disappointed faces of my comrades. You know, <laughs> at the end of a at the end of uh, a guitar solo. You know, you can kind of tell. And uh, you know, nobody's nobody's on all the time. That's all there is to it. And you got to, we're all so sensitive, you know. We're so damn sensitive, especially when you're younger, about your playing. And, and oh, you know, it's, is it any good, first of all, or yes, it is. You know, Or will people like it? And we all go through these head trips. It's natural. You just got to realize that everybody up there is going through it and to try to just play anyway. And and realize that it's completely natural to be really messed up (laughs) about your own contribution to music, and uh, just play anyway. Feel bad, play anyway. Feel good, play. You know, if you feel bad, that that if you feel bad, it means that the next day is going to be a good day, almost invariably. Every time you have a bad night. In a way, it's a good thing, because that means the next song or the next night or the next whatever is going to feel a lot better than the agony you're in at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I didn't even know you all we were back there. I, it's these lights. I noticed that. Okay. That was you standing up getting the, getting the last there? I wasn't trying to get Oh, you did good. That's good. I'm proud of you. Uh, no. Is there any time that I've thought about getting out of it? No, I've been lucky that it just kept going, you know. And I, I always had something, no matter how bleak it might be, to, to, uh, to spur me on. And, and I can see how anybody in their right mind would think about getting out of it at certain times. Because it's certainly not a good way to make a living. Uh, but once you get bitten by that bug, it's just uh, it's very hard to, to stop. I was ready, you know, when I was a, a kid at Berkeley and stuff, I never thought I would make any money, and I just wanted to, to play and to somehow not have to drive a laundry truck or go back to college and be legitimate like my parents sort of implied that maybe I should do at certain points. But I never really did. Uh, I was lucky that way, though. <laughs> yes? You already asked one, I think, right? I recognize your hat. Oh, that was him. <laughs> okay, go ahead. On
0: days
1: that you have gigs, do you avoid practicing or over-practicing or do you not go too far at all? Oh, no, I don't have any method. It, uh, the question is, on days that you have gigs, do you avoid practicing or over-practicing? I know what you mean, because you can not do that. But, uh, so I guess I do avoid that because there's no use beating a dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, you're, you're not going to improve that much that day, so that you can really change you play.
0: and play. And you know,
1: once you're up there on the bandstand, it's up to it's up to the man upstairs to a certain extent. But I have no method. Some days it's really helped me to play like for an hour I before you. I play before I play again. It's really helped. And other days. Uh, I played for that hour and I, and I almost felt like, man, I sort of blew my steam doing that. But, but there's no rule, you know I mean? I think you just gotta try your hardest and know when to stop and move on to something else. Sometimes it's great to have your mind clear to music because you don't need to have too much in your head and get up and play and, and have it try and be fresh, yeah. I think you're onto something, but I don't think there's any one way. Yeah.
0: Right. You know, but man, let me tell you—if you could count on
1: that—if you could, all I have to do is not practice, and I'll be incredible. You know, that's—that's. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. I think more than anything, it's practice. I, it's it's. it's Try to do stuff, to work with your instrument, do things that will help you. You know, to make it be good practices. I don't even know how to tell you how to do that except for recognize the feeling of when you're playing and you're like, oh this is wow, I can really okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this. Okay, well we just do it some more. That excited feeling when you're practicing, when you're on to something. You go for that. Yeah. What was it like playing with Dennis Chambers? Oh, it was great. You know, I mean, he was, I couldn't believe it when I first played with <laughs> it. Yeah, Dennis does not read music. Uh, and it, the question was, first of all, how do you like playing with Dennis Chambers? And, and what was it like presenting your to Uh It was an incredible you know when i find a drummer that excites me I, i'm about the happiest man in the world because it just seems to be then the music's okay if the drummer's having your band is in good shape you know and so Dennis when i heard him i just i related you know i just said this is this is it you know this man is doing it and uh, he's so fluid you know and he, which means that, that his musical mind is so quick and that's why he can learn songs without reading music he, we would just run it down a few times, and he'd have it. So you just have to play it a few times for him. And then he gets it. And then if there's a part that he doesn't understand, he's not shy about, wait a minute, what is that again? And then he'll get it, and it's there forever. You know, I, I really imagine I could probably play, even though we haven't played those tunes that we used to play together, we haven't played them for years now. But I'm sure if he was here right now, we could probably even know better than I did. And I wrote Yeah, Yeah, he's, he's a, a giant. And he brought that kind of funk fusion drumming to another level, you know. He brought something else to it. Very important drummer. Yes, sir. Uh,
0: is, are there any other uh, areas of music that you still aspire to explore, perhaps uh, composing for a larger ensemble? Or, or just oh, trying great it?
1: question. This happens, I can plug my new record. <laughs> this
0: is great. The
1: question was, are there any... Uh, uh, styles of music that, that I want to explore. And I always wanted to try and, and write for a larger thing, you know, and on my, my latest record, I wrote for uh, six horns and, and guitar, bass, and drums, so it's a larger ensemble. It's also, the name of the record is Quiet, and it's kind of a quiet thing. So it's really different for me, uh, more of a, it's all acoustic guitar, really. I mean, Quite different thing, Steve Swallow on bass, Bill Stewart on drums. So that was something I've wanted to do for a long time, and I did it. Uh, There are so many things out there. The trick is, in a way, is to not get too diverse. I feel like right now I'm about as diverse as I can get. You know, I've made funky records, I've got a new album called Quiet coming out, you know, what is that? And I've played a lot of bebop kind of stuff, and uh, I think some people, to me, it's no problem always feels like me but I think to some people they're like not sure who I am. Uh, There are a lot of things I'd like to do. I'd like to play more. I'd like to write for orchestra someday but it's too damn hard. I mean it's it's (laughs) it's just time consuming. I I know about it but I just know also how how long it took me to write out a whole album for six horns and uh, so that's something I have to work on. I'm not real fluid at, at orchestration. That's something I'd like to get into. I, I like to compose. You know, it's a it's it's a lot of work composing. And, and uh, every time I say, "Well, I'm not going to compose anymore," I'm really a jazz musician. I'm going to get out there and blow. I'm going to work on my guitar playing and forget this composing stuff. I do that for a while, and then then I say, oh, "I'm not really all." I'm I'm a composer as well as a jazz musician. <laughs> and and then I you know so I'm constantly going back and forth mainly between those. Sort of two roles. <coughs> yes, way back there, the person with a big arm. <laughs> oh. Uh huh. Good question. Uh, insight into the record business and how that's worked for me, right? Compromising that sort of thing. Well, uh, you know I started making records, the first bunch of records I made were on uh, little companies, and they never told me what to do at all, Uh, so I was never asked to compromise. Uh, And and now that I'm on big labels, you know, Blue Note, or now my new one's going to be on Verve, it's, uh, it's really the same thing, you know, they hire you because they like you, I already have a track record, and... I may have an idea that the producer says, "Well, I, I don't like that idea," but they have to like one of your ideas, you know. So there, there have been times when a, a few of my ideas—they've said, "Well, maybe not for this record," but that's the extent of of any kind of pushing in any direction anybody's ever done. I, I really have called the shots creatively on all my records, and uh, I, I think the uh, really the what. What, when, when you do have a record deal, it's up to you, you, the creative pressure to whether or not to sell out or whether to do, sell out, you know, that's what, it, whether or not you're going to do stuff that you know people will like more than some other things is, is a pressure within yourself, because we all want to have an audience, you know, I mean, if every town was Boston, Massachusetts and it was all guitar players, then it'd be no problem. All you have to do is play the guitar. But you want to have some sort of audit, you want to have people like your music because if they don't like it, that means you don't have any gigs. But if you don't stay true to what you really like, then the music suffers. And, uh, and, and we have to really know that in our hearts, you know that, that what people like about your music really is when, when you're excited. So that's what I've, I've come up with. Uh, the, that the music has to be excite me first. So I use myself as a barometer. But there are always temptations. Uh, when you see some little thing that maybe you don't like that much, but you do it and people love it, you know. <laughs> There's always a, so the, the, the commercial, mm-hmm. you know, stuff. I think it comes with, from within as much as from anybody. The temptation. You follow me? I've never had I mean, you know big time record companies I've never sold so many records at a record company if I had a hit record if I had a record that went platinum or something then you can believe it that you would have a, a record company producer really putting up a lot putting a lot of pressure on you to recreate that record or to do something else like that and if even if you wanted to make a free jazz record they might really be on your case but you know I mean my records have done well in the jazz realm but haven't Really crossed over to pop, you know. So they're not bugging me. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Could you please play something for us? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>